The only way to be happy is for everyone to be made equal. So, we must burn the books, Montag. I value white whale. Show us your crooked jaw. But it cannot stay in the Shire. No. No, it can't. Must I do? It doesn't get eaten by the eels at this time. What? I'm explaining to you because you look nervous. Peace. I hate the word. As I hate hell, all Montagues and thee. And therein, as the bard would tell us, lies the rub. I actually remember the exact moment when I decided I wanted to be a writer. I was in my junior year of high school, and up to that point, my friends and I had run around a bunch with an old VHS video camcorder, you know, the type that sits on your shoulder. Um, This was in the early 2000s, and even then, our video camera was quite dated. But we loved running around with it and being funny and shooting little silly videos, Um, but I was always interested in more, and I constantly had these ideas for movies that we could make, um, but my I, my ideas were always too far out there. They were too fantastical, would require too many special effects, and I just wasn't at that level in terms of filmmaking. Um, still don't know that I'm at that level, but I had a realization my junior year, and I remember going over to my friend Kirk, went over to his house, and uh, we were outside his house in his yard, and we were talking about this, because I was like, I had an idea for a story, and I know we can't make a movie of this, But I had this realization that even though we couldn't make a movie of it, I could write it. I could turn it into a book. And it was this story about clouds. And I had this idea where the clouds could be like these actual living entities that were either good or evil. And it was about these people that um, were either fighting against clouds. Anyway, kind of out there. But it was in that moment that I realized that I, I wanted to write, that I that I had these ideas for stories that someone needed to put down on paper and I was really excited about it. And I was like, you know what? I can turn it into a book. So I started my journey of writing. And like most writers, I was very inconsistent in the beginning. This whole podcast today will be a proponent of consistency. It is one of the most valuable things that you can have in your life is consistency. If you were to compare the results of any two individuals who are working on a task, doesn't matter the task, and one of them worked one hour on that task every single day over the course of six days, so a week, they put in one hour. And then you take another individual on that final day, that Saturday, and they spend one session of six hours and you were to compare the results, I am 99% sure that the person who was consistently putting in one hour every single day would have stronger results than a person who put in six hours because of this principle called fatigue. And our brain is only able to continue learning to a certain point without breaks. So when you can master this concept of consistency, consistently doing one thing, even if it's a small task, and you do it consistently over time, it's like the rings on a tree or drops of water uh, that flow into a stream or hundreds of streams that end up flowing into a river, right? That consistency equates to something massive in the long run. Whereas if you are trying to put in these enormous six, eight hour sessions, if it's something that you're not used to, you are going to get burnt out a lot quicker. So 
This is all about consistency, and we're going to get to the goal setting part here in just a sec, but I wanted to talk about that. I wanted to be a writer, very inconsistent for years and years, and uh, six, seven years later, I end up at grad school. I studied at Chapman University in California and got an MFA in screenwriting. And like I said, growing up, I ran around with a video camera and was trying to be a writer. And so uh, becoming a screenwriter was just sort of the natural progression of things. Um, but I realized shortly before grad school that I needed to get more consistent. So I set a goal. I wanted to write a screenplay before starting on my grad school journey, which I did. And then I went through all of grad school having this system, this structure, right? I believe that one of the big values of a university education is that most people struggle to put structure in their lives when they really want to achieve something. So you create this, this academy, this institution that stipulates times, places, classes, credits, degrees, and they stipulate all these things in order for you to have a success. And then all you got to do is you got to sit down and live within those restraints. And the goal is to force you to achieve these habits that will lead you to the result that you wanted, which ultimately is a degree and for most people, a job. So I go to grad school and I should probably do a whole other episode on the value of an MFA in screenwriting and an MFA in general. Uh, I know a lot of people question whether degrees are even worth it nowadays, and that, that's a subject for a later time. Suffice it to say, one of the massive benefits that I got out of grad school was becoming a consistent writer because I had this structure in place, right? I would actually say that grad school was fairly easy for me in terms of doing the work because I like writing and I like telling stories. That's not to say it isn't hard work because it is. Nevertheless, the school curriculum was all about writing. And so as long as I was putting time in every day or most days, I was on top of my tasks and was able to do very well in grad school. Post-grad school. I left school and got a job as a video editor and we moved away from California back to Utah and I had this fear and I think it was a good thing because it pushed me to ask myself, am I going to let go of this good habit that I have created, which was writing regularly and it had benefited me so much. And I didn't want to lose that even though I was starting, you know, a, a job, a day job, 40 hours a week, editing video, shooting video, but I still wanted to write. And I also had a pivot. Since we moved back to Utah, I, I suddenly felt very called to begin writing novels again. And so I started this journey to learn how to be a consistent writer when I didn't have this institution forcing me to do it. And that is what I'd like to share with you today. And we're going to talk about goals and setting goals and things you can do to make sure that you are on track with your writing. Because I, I'll tell you, so many people start books, start writing a book, but how many finish them? It can be a very difficult task because it requires consistency and regular effort over the course of time. You don't sit down in an evening and write a book. You may not even be able to sit down in one evening and write a short story. Since grad school in the past seven years, I have written a bunch of short stories. Um, I've started a number of books. I've completed three novels in the past seven years. Um, one of which is the one I'm currently working on. It's called Sky Rush. 
And I've done three major drafts on Skyrush in the past seven years, all while having a full-time job that was working me, you know, anywhere from 40 to 60 hours a week. On top of that, I was managing to write for seven hours every single week. I produce a weekly podcast now. I produce daily TikTok videos. I still manage to get in time to read, um, still have a social life, have t spend time with my wife and my kids. And so these these techniques, I don't, I don't want anybody to come at me with this BS that I, I just don't have time to write because I promise you it's because you're not using your time wisely and because you don't have a proper structure that will help you achieve those goals. I feel like I'm busier than ever. And honestly, I'm still pushing myself to find time to do more writing than I currently am because I want to do more than even just seven hours a week. And I know I can find the time if you're just smart about it. So let's get smart. We're going to dive in and talk a little bit about goals. And this these principles apply to just about any goal that you are setting. After we spend a little bit of time talking about goals, I'm going to introduce you to level one and level two, what I'll call writer level one and writer level two. And these are really good systems and sort of gives you that structure that I was talking about at different levels, depending on your time commitment and what goal you're trying to achieve. But before we do that, we're going to talk about goals and these principles that I'm about to share, they apply to just about any goal. I have found that these things just truly work. They get you to get your butt in gear and to do the thing you're trying to do. Now I have to give credit where credit is due. These are things that I learned from Chris Crone. He is my boss. He is a public speaker, a real estate investor, a mentor, and he teaches some phenomenal things. Chris is one of those individuals that demands really, really big results from himself and tends to achieve his goals. And that's the type of person you want to learn from. You want to learn from someone that is doing the thing that you want to achieve, which by the way, it, not an ego play at all. I was sharing the amount of writing that I've been able to do over the past number of years so that you understand that these things do produce results. So we're going to go down the path of personal development a little bit. And I know having spent time with filmmakers and artists and writers, sometimes we look at the personal development world and it just seems a little woo woo. And it's like, yeah, I like watched the secret and you know, this, this law of attraction, these things don't matter, but I'm going to argue the opposite. Everybody who is laboring in a subjective field like art, like music, like writing, you should really be taking advantage of personal development because it's a subjective field. It can be emotionally trying, right? This idea of a tortured artist is so common because artists put their heart on their sleeve and they put themselves out there. If anybody has ever created something and then asked for feedback or shown it to people, it really does feel like being naked. And there's so much in the personal development industry that can help you Believe in yourself, because I'll be the first to say, you heard my story about how I got into writing. I didn't wake up one day and have someone say, hey man, you wrote an essay and I thought it was really good. You should be a writer. In fact, I don't know that anyone has ever told me that I should be a writer. It is something that I decided myself. And it is something that I believe myself. And as you go writing, showing people, and then get to the stage that I'm in where I am querying agents, 
holy cow, it takes a lot of confidence to be able to put yourself out there and have people critique you and either tell you that your stuff is good or no good. And when someone tells you that your stuff is no good, you gotta be in a position where you believe in yourself enough to keep moving forward and to not let that stop you when you're in the valley of despair. So again, this is my little diatribe that personal development content is just fabulous. I have learned so much from Chris Crone that has helped me to understand that I've got to believe in my writing long before anyone else will. You hear these, this, I mean, there are so many examples. J.K. Rowling, how many times was her manuscript rejected? How many people read Harry Potter and they could not see that this would be the most commercially successful book of our generation, possibly of all time, right? There are individuals out there who read the first Harry Potter, the manuscript of it, and said, eh, which means we are in a subjective field. Which goes to show that we are in a subjective field. And just because something doesn't resonate with one person, it doesn't mean it is not good. So I wanted to share this quote from Chris Crone that ties directly into what we're going to talk about with goals. He says, The things we do on a consistent daily basis define who we will become. It is the little activities that we do consistently that will change our results. And the results we're currently getting are because of the activities that we're doing consistently over time. Second quote I want to share with you that comes from this personal development world, hunger will destroy your fear of failure. I've heard Tony Robbins say this a number of times. He People ask him all the time, you work with successful people. A lot of the, the top dogs in the world will come to Tony Robbins when they run up against an obstacle and they expect him to get them unstuck. And he will tell you the difference between the successful and those that are just mediocre is hunger. It's not intelligence, it's not skill, it's not talent. It's who's hungry enough to keep pushing when things get hard. And believe me, if you're in the game of writing, things will reach a point that they get hard. If you are a writer, if you are a musician, if you're a filmmaker, I believe that the number one thing that every artist needs more of is practice. It's something that the athletic industry just seems to get. And I feel like artists struggle to understand this idea, at least starting artists struggle to understand this idea. For example, if you want to be a writer, you've got to write more and read more. That's it. Just like when, when, when you want to lose weight, everyone will tell you the same thing. Move more, eat better. There's a million different strategies on how you can do that. And I'm going to offer you a strategy today that will help with your writing. But at the end of the day, what we're talking about is finding ways for you to write more and to read more. Now, before we dive into this, this recipe that I have, I wanted to share one more example. If you were to eat some cake and it's like the most amazing cake that you've ever had, you take one bite and you're like, oh my gosh. Like, I can't believe this exists. It's like the most amazing thing that I've ever tasted. And I just want to eat it all day long, all day long. Oh my gosh, I got to find out who made it. And you go to the chef and you ask for the recipe because you're like, I want to be able to make this every day in my life. Let's just pretend that there's a cake that is that good. So this chef gives you a recipe. You go home, you take the recipe and you're like, sweet, I'm going to make this awesome cake because I want this awesome thing. And you sit down. You start making it, you look at the recipe, and the first thing you come to is it says, hey, you're going to need four cups of cake flour. 
Well, you're not like a super experienced chef. So you're like, you know what? Cake flour, I don't have cake flour. I'm, I don't really want to run to the, I don't want to run to the grocery store and get cake flour. In fact, I don't really even know what it is. It probably doesn't matter. So you go ahead and just use regular flour, right? And we keep going down this recipe. And every time it mentions something that you don't actually have, it's like, yeah, you got to put in some pecans. And you're like, well, I don't have any. So I bet walnuts is okay. And then you start measuring sugar and it's like, you need two cups of sugar. And you're like, crap, I'm out of sugar. I'm going to put in one. And how much do I have? I have one and three quarters cups of sugar. You know what? That's probably good enough. And as you go, you just sit and tweak the recipe. When the cake comes out, I promise you, if you have sat and tweaked the recipe that you got from this amazing chef, your cake won't end up like his. You will not get the same result if you change the recipe because it's those pieces that added up to give you the result. I'm about to share with you the five steps of a bulletproof goal setting system. And I'm just going to tell you right now, if there is any one of these steps that you can't commit to or that you're like, I don't think I really need to do that. I promise you this won't work. I can also make a similar promise that if you follow through on each one of these steps, it will work. I have seen this work in my life and in countless other people's lives. And you're going to see here in a minute why that works. So let's talk about it. Step one, list your goal. Write it down somewhere. And this isn't going to be news to anybody, but you got to list your goal. And here's why. Because you got to start with the result you want in mind. To illustrate this idea of starting with the end in mind, this comes from a quote by Stephen R. Covey. He says, To begin with the end in mind means to start with a clear understanding of your destination. It means to know where you're going so that you better understand where you are now and so that the steps you take are always in the right direction. This may seem obvious, but let's dive a little bit deeper. You got to know what you're trying to achieve. And, and I don't mean, hey, I want to write more. I mean specifically, what is the destination you want? What does it look like? What is the result at the end of the day that you're driving towards? And you've got to write that thing down. you got to reference it often, and you got to put it somewhere that you can see it. There are two types of individuals in this world. There are results-driven people and checklisters. And there is actually benefit to both types of individuals. Let me show you what I mean by this right? Let's say there is a mom who runs around all day and picks her kids up from school, drops them off at soccer practice, takes them to violin lessons or piano lessons, and has to get groceries. This person would be a checklist person, right? Their, their plan for the day is do this, do this, do this, do this. And when they're done, whether or not they have success or failure is determined by these check marks. Did I do it? Did I do it? Did I do it? Now, the other type of individual is a results-driven person that says, what am I trying to achieve? And then evaluates all of the actions along the way that will help you get there. So when I say list your goal, I'm talking result, not task. We're going to get into tasks here in a little bit because they add up to the result if you're doing the right tasks. Just like Stephen R. Covey said, if you don't understand where you're going, you won't understand what steps you need to take to get there. So write down the actual result that you want, and then we'll reverse engineer it from there. 
we'll say, okay, if that is what I want, I'm going to go back and say, what steps does it take to get there? And this is where a mentor comes in really, really handy because they've done the thing that you want, right? I spend time reading books by authors that I love because I want to be like them. Stephen King, very, very successful writer. His book on writing, which we're going to reference here in a little bit, is just amazing. I love seeing he breaks down his approach to how he got the result that I'm after. Step two. Make your goal measurable so you know the precise moment it is achieved. Now, this is the information that I feel like veers from many other uh, doctrines or education systems on setting goals. You, you have to have a goal that's measurable. And for some reason, every time I bring this up, this is, this is some content I've actually taught from the stage um, at a Chris Crone event. Like I said, he's my boss and I help him put on events. And I've actually taught this section on goal setting. And a lot of times when we demand that a goal be measurable, people balk at this a little bit. They, they, they give some pushback. They're like, not everything can be measured. I disagree wholeheartedly. But let me give you an example. A few years back, I set a goal to hike more. And when I learned this concept of making a goal that's measurable, do you realize this idea of hiking more? That's not measurable. What does that mean? How will I know if I've hiked more, right? I would have to have some stipulation and be like, okay, hike more per month, hike more per week, hike more than what? Hike more than last week, right? As soon as I start changing it from this nebulous idea of hike more to something specific, now I know the exact moment when I achieve that, and that's critical, and I'll share why in just a second. Let me give another example of this hiking goal. Instead of saying hike more, what if the goal was hike to the top of a mountain? So how will you know when the goal is achieved? Because you'll be standing on top of the mountain. If your goal is to write a book, how will you know when you've reached the goal? Because you will write the words, the end and you'll know that you achieved your goal. Here's why it's critical. It's because change comes gradually. And if you're not measuring it, and if your goal isn't measurable and specific, you might miss it. Here's another example of a goal I heard someone set that is not a very good goal. They said, hey, this year I wanna be, I just wanna be happier. The problem is, is that change comes so gradually. If you have ever spent any time away from nieces and nephews, say a year or two years go by, and then you go visit family, and bam, their kids just seem so big all of a sudden, right? But for the parents who are with those kids through the whole journey, it happens so gradually that if they were to say, hey, I can't wait till my kid is bigger, you won't know when that happens. It comes so slowly. The same goes for people who go to the gym. How will you know when you have muscles? Well, turns out that we all have muscles. That's a bad goal. You can't say, I want muscles. We all have muscles. What do you mean by muscles? Everybody's body's a little bit different. Because change comes gradually, if you don't have a specific goal, a specific measurable goal, you'll miss it. You could blow right past it. This idea of being happier, you might be happy for the first three quarters of the year. And the last quarter of the year, you have some difficult things happen. And Honestly, the unconscious person will look back and they will describe the entire year as a bust because the last segment of it 
was a struggle or they had depression or something like that. And this, this is a bad thing for your, for your efforts, because you're going to consider yourself a failure. You're going to say, I tried to be happier. It didn't work because I was depressed. If you're not measuring it, I promise you, you will miss it when you get the result. The other thing is we as human beings like when things are hard, but because change comes so gradually, things that we thought were hard become easy and then when we hit our goal, often we feel like, oh, did I really hit it? At the end, that, that, that seemed pretty easy. And so we set a goal further out. We end up telling our mind and telling our body that we're still not good enough and that we're not pushing hard enough. And this sort of inner dialogue will actually be a huge hindrance to your ability to achieve the result that you want. So how do you make a goal measurable? I find that it comes in four categories. You are either going to quantify something you are going to be measuring an amount of time spent doing something. You're going to be doing a ratio or a percentage, or you're going to be doing a rating. And let me give you some examples of this. So a quantity, this is equivalent to sessions, right? I want to work out five times a week. So you're measuring each of those sessions or you are lifting weights. Hey, I want to do this many reps. So you're measuring the quantity of something. Weight. Weight is the, the most common unit of measurement when it comes to working out. People are wanting to lose weight. So pounds is the unit of measurement and we're quantifying it and then comparing it over time as we report it. When it comes to writing, I recommend that the quantity that you're looking at will be word count. A lot of times people do pages, but pages can be nebulous depending on your font size, which word processor you're using. It's not a it's not a standardized method of measurement because book pages are different than word document pages. So I recommend doing your word count when it comes to writing. You should know how many words every single writing session you are doing. Let's talk about the amount of time. One of the best ways to measure your progress towards something is to know how much time you're actually spending on things. Start measuring something and you will be surprised. Don't change anything. Just say, I'm going to start measuring how often I do X. In fact, you can install an app on your phone. There's apps that go on your computer that will tell you how long you are in each application. And a lot of times these reveal when people are spending so much time on social media or things like that. And it may really surprise you. In fact, the iPhone even comes stock with screen time now that will tell you how much time you're putting in to these different apps because that helps you know where you're being inefficient. Now a ratio or a percentage, this is when your goal is a quantity and you're wanting to know to measure how close to your goal you're getting, right? So you're like, I want to write 100,000 words this year. So you're measuring the words day to day to day and then looking at that ratio. Hey, I have written 50,000 of my 100,000 words. I'm halfway. This helps you to know if you're on track or not towards that result that we discussed about. And then last of all is a rating. If you are wanting to measure something nebulous like I want to be happier, uh, I want to be more positive, what you need to do is sit down on a regular basis weekly potentially daily and rate how you're feeling in that moment. And over time, you'll collect these ratings on a scale of one to five, on a scale of one to 10. You take something a little more nebulous, a little more subjective, you know, just like they do with movies. Uh, people are, are asked to rate how good the movie was. And that helps us understand, take something that's super subjective and provide some sort of structure for a measurement on it. I'm going to share another quote that is just 100% true about this concept of measuring. I have a media background, but I've also spent a significant amount of time in marketing 
And marketers are obsessed with measuring because they got to figure out what works and what doesn't work. And so this quote is often referenced at my work. When performance is measured, performance improves. When performance is measured and reported, the rate of improvement accelerates. That comes from Thomas S. Monson. And guys, this quote is just true. If you want to see something improve, just start measuring it. Don't even set new goals around it. Just start measuring it and you'll start to notice that as you go throughout your day, you'll be like, oh, I should do that one thing because now that I'm measuring it, I want to make sure that I check that off. There, there is something in the human psyche that we really like when we know the value of something and increasing it. Measuring your performance is critical. So that is step two of setting your goal. What's step one? List your goal. List the result you want. Step two is make it measurable and determine what will be the units of measurement used in order to achieve that goal. Step number three, establish your action step. This action step should be done daily or weekly or monthly. My writing goal is a weekly total number of minutes. Do I write every single day? No, occasionally I'll miss a day, but I can show you that on average in the past, you know, five months or whatever, I'm writing seven hours a week. I'm averaging one hour a day, even though I may miss a day here and there, I make it up later and I'm averaging seven hours a week. You need these action steps. It's got to be something you're working on daily. Or if it's something that maybe isn't that lofty of a goal, maybe it's something you're working on weekly, but you got to do it consistently. If you want to see progress towards your goal, the more often you can do it, the better, right? Athletes, they don't miss very many days. They, they go to the gym, they work out, they practice their craft, and they do it daily. Because every day that slips by without working on this thing is time lost that you can't get back. Time is the ultimate equalizer of us all. And you'll find that people who get the result they want, it's because they're smarter with what they do and they focus on doing these action steps daily or weekly. And if it's a smaller goal, maybe it's just something monthly. Now, you remember at the beginning of this when I promised that we would talk about two levels of being a writer. I want to discuss it here because it's all part of your action step. Level one is a certain type of action step and level two is a different kind of action step. If you are just getting started writing, if you have never really sat down and tried to write anything creative on your own other than in school or things like that, and you want to be self-motivated to do it, I recommend starting with what I call level one. And here's what level one looks like. Your goal is to every single day, seven days a week, write one sentence. So every single day, you cannot go to sleep. You cannot go to bed at night without having written one sentence a day. Let me tell you why this works. Number one, when I say that people, I, I've gotten this reaction so many times and it's so funny because this worked with me for years. It's how I wrote two of my first books. They hear one sentence and we as human beings don't like when something's too easy. And so we sabotage ourselves. One sentence. There is nothing that could happen in your life barring death. <laughs> There's nothing that could happen in your life that could prevent you from writing one sentence every single day. It is the smallest of smalls. It is the lowest hurdle of all to start creating a habit. And a sentence is really easy to measure. It starts with a capitalized letter and it ends with a period. 
you write one of those every single day. And what you'll find is you'll start to have consistency. And then let me tell you what else will happen. Your goal, in order to check off the thing that you're doing, you only have to write one sentence. But here's where I'm going to tell you the secret of this when it comes to becoming a writer. The number of times where you will actually only write one sentence are few and far between. Because once you've forced yourself to sit down and pound out on a keyboard or a notebook and a pencil, once you've forced yourself to sit down and write one sentence, you will write more. You just naturally will because you're in the zone. Whereas if you tell yourself, I'm going to write an hour every day, what, what, here's what's going to happen. You're going to sit down in the evening and you're tired. You just, if, if you're, if you're a full-time, if you have a full-time job and you're wanting to also write, you're going to come home in the evening and you're going to be like, gosh, I, I can't hit my goal. I can't do one hour tonight. I just don't have the time. And so instead of just doing some, the smart thing would be to say, I'll write with whatever time I have. You won't write at all because your goal was one hour. It's too big. And the moment that it's unachievable, instead of just shooting for part of your goal, which logically is the best thing, you won't. You won't do any of it. Trust me. I know because I've been there. One sentence a day is so easy that you cannot shirk it. There is no excuse for not writing one sentence a day. And yes, occasionally there will be a day where you are so busy that all you're able to do is sit down and write one sentence. That should be celebrated because that means in your goal of writing, you know, 70,000 word book, a 60,000 word book, you put five, 10, 12 more words towards that goal. And this consistency adds up. I often think of the metaphor of building a brick wall right? How do you build a brick wall? It's brick by brick, one line at a time, just a little sentence each day. So that is level one. Trust me, this works. If you want to get a book going, just commit to writing one sentence a day. Okay, so that was level one. Let's talk about level two. It just gets more intense and more in depth and the goal is a lot higher. Once you've established the habit of being able to write a little bit every single day, you just up it. You set a word count goal, for the week, and then you set a number of minutes or hours, a, a time frame goal for the week. Um, whenever I'm working on the first draft of something, it's always about word count, and I'm counting minutes that add up to hours. When you are reviewing a draft, because by the way, editing is a huge component of writing. In fact, my first drafts are always just getting it all out on paper as quickly as possible and not worrying about the pros, not worrying about making it pretty. It's focused on story and exploring things with your characters, writing scenes that you'll never use, trying things out, and your first draft should just flow at a very rapid pace. On that note, I have a quote from Stephen King's book on writing. He's referencing this concept of writing your first draft with the door closed and your second draft with the door open. And what he means by that is let, let the first draft be a virgin draft. Let it be uncritiqued. Let it be raw and just totally come from inside. And don't be worried about what someone will think. Just write for fun and explore and be free. And so he's talking about this idea of getting regular criticism as you're writing your first draft. And here's why he says it doesn't work. 
Daily critiques force you to write with the door constantly open, and in mind that sort of defeats the purpose. The pressure to explain is always on, and a lot of your creative energy, it seems to me, is therefore going in the wrong direction. You find yourself constantly questioning your prose and your purpose when what you should probably be doing is writing as fast as the gingerbread man runs. Getting that first draft down on paper while the shape of the fossil is still bright and clear in your mind. Too many writing classes make, wait a minute, explain what you meant by that, a kind of bylaw. This is something that I live by. Because I know that if you constantly go back and regurgitate and go over your prose, when, when you've just gotten started, here is the real problem, is that you'll never finish anything. Write without looking back. Write your first draft just moving forward as quickly as possible. Because when you're done with the beast, when you've uncovered the entire fossil, which is the metaphor that Stephen King uses, then you can look at it and say, what is it? What works? What doesn't? The problem with rehashing your prose before you've finished a draft is that you may spend hours tinkering with the scene that you will cut all together. When you go back through it as a whole, you may spend hours laboring over a description for a character that will not survive after the first draft. Write racing as fast as you can, like the gingerbread man, or what I always say is write and don't look back. So that's level two is to set a word count goal and the number of minutes a week that you want to do. Now, I imagine at this point, you're, this doesn't sound extremely like something you haven't heard before. You're like, write your goals down, make sure it's measurable. Maybe you've heard of these things. This is where the rubber really meets the road. This is the component, the ingredient in this recipe that is going to make this stick. And I can tell you, if this is a recipe you intend to tweak, this will be the step that you tweak. And it will be the thing that sabotages you if you change this next step. So step four, let's review. Step one, list your goal. Two, make it measurable. Three, determine your daily action steps or weekly action steps. And step number four, establish an extreme consequence. If you really want something, you'll be willing to put a consequence behind it. You've got to have some skin in the game or you will negotiate your way out of doing the habit that you wanted to do. Remember that structure that I talked about, the institution that comes with going to, to some university? They have consequences and rewards. They have grades. They're measuring things, and they're making you do it because they know if you don't have consequences, you won't do it. Now, Often when I start talking about this, people like the idea of putting a reward behind their effort because they're like, ooh, that's nice. I would love to reward myself when I achieve a goal. I love rewards. Here's how I break it down for you though. Number one, most people, I would say nine out of 10 people that I've met will do more to avoid pain than they will to gain pleasure. We would rather run as fast as we can away from someone trying to poke us with a stick than we would endure someone poking us with a stick in order to get a piece of candy, right? It's like, no, I, I just don't want the pain. I just don't want the pain. So you want to leverage this almost against yourself to ensure that you achieve your objective. I've got a list of a ton of really great consequences that you can use to help motivate you in order to achieve your goal. How I break this down though, when it comes to consequence or a reward, on the daily action steps, 
it's got to be a consequence. If you don't do the daily action step, you've got to have a punishment. And I know this this sounds like self-flagellation. And it is to a little bit of an extent. But the point is that it works and we're not going to do anything crazy I know I just said, establish an extreme consequence. You'll hear these aren't, these aren't that extreme. We're not talking about cutting off your own hand. But when it comes to a result at the end of the goal, that's where I would plant the reward, right? So your result you want is to finish writing your book, to finish writing your story. Once you've done that, do something. Go buy yourself a pair of shoes. Upgrade your phone. Give yourself a reward for hitting the long-term goal. But as for the daily action step, give yourself a consequence, something negative that trains your body that it's not okay to set goals and not achieve them. That's what you're really doing is you're almost brainwashing yourself to say, no, it's not okay to not do the things that I set out to do because we as human beings, like I said, we negotiate our way out of it. We find justifications. We're like, ah, I got tired and I didn't have time. Or there's always a reason to not do your goal. Your results will start to happen in your life when your wants become your musts. And the way that you make a want become a must is you put a consequence behind it. So what are some good consequences? The number one consequence that I use is cold showers. At the end of a week, if I haven't done my daily activity every single day, I have to take a cold shower for every single one of the goals that I have. I have health goals. I've got writing goals. I've got spiritual goals. um, I've got goals with my family. And if I miss those things, then I have to take a cold shower. If I miss them all, I would end up taking a full week of cold showers. And this works great for me, and here's why. One, it doesn't take any extra time. I've already dedicated time in the morning to take a shower. The difference is just the temperature of the water. Two, it's actually healthy for you to take cold showers, so there's no harm. Three, I hate it. I do not like taking cold showers. It's painful every single time I do it. So I'm actually teaching my body that when I don't achieve a goal, when I don't do my daily action step, when I don't do my writing, that it's not okay. I don't get to have this double standard with myself, right? If somebody tells you they're going to do something and then they don't do it, most people would be very, very annoyed. The problem is we don't hold that standard with ourselves because we negotiate our way out of it. Consequences prevent that. Some other really great consequences, um, and you can have fun with this. Make it interesting. Uh, my nutrition goal that I've I did all through 2020, and it worked fabulously, and I'm doing it again this year, is that if I break uh, certain aspects of my nutrition plan, I have to eat Rocky Mountain oysters. Now, anybody listening to this who doesn't know what a Rocky Mountain oyster is, I'll let you go ahead and go Google that. Just trust me, it's not something that I want to do. <laughs> Um, I've heard of people that set a consequence if they don't reach a goal, they'll shave their head. Or if they they don't take the proper action steps, they have to post something embarrassing to social media or give money to someone that they can't stand. And these are are enough painful consequences. Do you see what I mean by extreme consequences? They're They're not like chopping off your hand or doing something insane. All they are is making you pay a price and be a little bit uncomfortable when you don't achieve your goal so that in those times when you come home and you're tired and you don't want to do it there is something to say hey 
you will regret not doing it more than the ease of just saying, I'm going to give up tonight. And it really does push you towards that goal. In my opinion, this is the secret sauce of setting a goal is having an, a consequence that will really push you to do the thing that you set out to do. I think every writer should have a weekly writing goal. Every artist, every musician, everybody that is endeavoring to do some sort of, that is endeavoring to do some sort of task that requires practice and effort, you should establish a consequence behind the times that you don't do the thing that you're after. And for our last and final step, enroll an accountability partner and report to them regularly, right? No man is an island. Because we have this natural disposition to negotiate our way out of things, we need someone, some third party to hold us accountable. And remember that quote that I read by Thomas S. Monson? He says, when performance is measured, it improves. So right, we're gonna measure it. When performance is measured and reported, it improves exponentially. There's something about taking our goals Taking the thing that we're doing and having to go before a third-party individual and say, here's what I did, here's what I didn't do, that is sort of a consequence built in in and of itself, right? Because we, we, we're held accountable. Um, and, and you got to report it. The more often that you're looking at your numbers and measuring and see how well you're doing, the easier it is to improve upon it because you'll find that a few minutes here, a few minutes there, a few minutes there will add up to change your overall numbers for the week, and it'll get you excited. The last step that I will talk about is celebration. And all it means is when you're actually hitting your goals, you need to pat yourself on the back. You need to recognize you did something awesome. Put your hands in the air and say, whoa, I did it. Because often we don't do that for our own goals because I don't know why, we just have a hard time celebrating ourselves. Measuring and reporting to an accountability partner regularly will help you know when you are allowed to celebrate. And it's this really great thing. Now, let's talk about this accountability partner because it can't be just anyone. It has to be someone that holds you to it. My wife is the perfect accountability partner because she doesn't let me off the hook. My wife is kind of a... Uh, <laughs> a heart A and she doesn't let me off the hook. We just had a conversation today where I was like, hey, I'm at, I did this thing, but then I made up for it. Are you gonna still count as reaching my goal? And she's like, mm, I'm gonna have to think about that. I don't know that that's gonna count because you set your goal as X and you're changing it. And I don't think that's fair. That's the type of person you need to be accountable to. Often your friends will let you off the hook a lot easier than you'll let yourself off the hook. And that's not who you want. You don't want someone that says, it's all right, man, don't worry about it. Oh, that consequence you built in, you don't really have to do it. No, you need someone who is rooting for your goals and knows to hold your feet to the fire when it really matters. It needs to be someone that expects you to follow through on your goals. So those are the five steps to a bulletproof system of setting goals. List your goal. Make it measurable. Establish your daily action steps and track them. Establish a consequence or a reward behind whether or not you do those action steps. And then en enroll a committed accountability partner. What I do is I have a spreadsheet that lists out all my goals, how many hours every week I'm supposed to write, when I'm doing a new draft, it lists how many words I'm expected to write every single week. And then I track it week over week over week. 
Every day I jot down how many, how many hours I sat down and did my writing. And then on Sunday, I total up those hours. I put them into a quick text to my wife and I report them. And what happens? Hey, I find time to do my writing even when life gets really, really busy. This system works. Because I know people are just listening to this and, and I really want to drive this, these principles home, I'm going to list it one more time. The five steps are list your goal. Make it measurable so that you can track it. Establish your daily action steps. Come up with a consequence for when you don't do your daily action step. And then enroll a committed accountability partner. And step number six that I guess is part of this but isn't necessarily specifically part of it. Step number six would be to celebrate every time that you achieve your goal. The final thing that I'd like to discuss today as we're talking about goal setting as it pertains to writers or storytellers um, is this concept of writer's block and how to overcome writer's block. And again, I could probably spend an entire episode discussing writer's block because writers think it's real, but I personally don't. And here's why. I think that writer's block comes when you have too high of expectations for what you're putting down on the paper and you think which words you put down are more important than just getting more words down on paper, right? It's this idea of quality over quantity. I saw this really awesome video recently where this guy was is talking about how to get good at something and he says, he says, you need to do it FQR. Fast, quick, and wrong. And yes, I know that wrong is spelled with a W, but for whatever reason in this video, he does R. I think it's kind of ironic. Fast, quick, and wrong. Do it the wrong way first. Don't hold yourself to an incredibly high standard, right? We get writer's block because we start putting words down on pages and we're like, I don't like it, I don't like it. And then this crazy thing happens where because we don't like the words that are coming out, we stop writing. And we start overthinking it. All writer's block is, is assuming that the first words that you put down on page are going to be the best words. And that's just not right. That's not how writing works. The way to overcome writer's block is to write your way through it. You just got to accept that often first drafts suck. I think that I have had very little struggle with writer's block because as I said, I didn't get into writing because anyone told me I was good at it. In fact, I don't know that anyone to this day have, has told me I'm good at it. I don't need them to. I know that the books that I'm writing are really, really awesome and I've focused more than anything else on story. And then after you get the story out, you go through and you edit it and you make the sentences great because you take your time and work on each and every sentence. And so I, I know that it works. I don't need anyone to tell me. But because that's my approach, because I write my first draft without looking back, I never run into writer's block. You just write your way through it. You just write words knowing that they are probably not the words that are going to last to the final draft. And that is okay. I want to give you an example. It's a sports analogy because like I said, the athletic community as a whole has figured out this concept of practice way ahead of the arts. And I, I, I just don't get it. We should all be taking pages from Kobe Bryant and Michael Jordan and these guys that figured out that, hey, the more time I spend on the court, the luckier I get in the game, right? It's funny how good luck looks a lot like hard work. Imagine a basketball player has a game his free throw is off. He misses every single free throw during the game. And at the end of the game, he's like, dang, why am I so off? I've got 
free throw block, or I've got basketball block. Now, let me tell you what a writer who claims to have writer's block would do. They'd be like, man, my free throw's off. You know, I probably need to take a break. I probably need to like sit back, relax, clear my head and not play basketball, right? I've got basketball block and I just need to wait for it to go away. And then a week goes by and the next time you put your hand on a ball, because a week's gone by, it doesn't feel quite as smooth as it did when you were practicing every single day. And the next time you throw a free throw, you miss again and you're like, man, I've still got that writer's block. I just need more time off. If any basketball player talked like this, we'd say you're insane. Your free throw is off because you need to practice more. The way to get through that is by hitting the court earlier, shooting more free throws, and work on your game. And I don't know why, but writers think that it's different for them. At least writers that I've talked to that reference writer's block think that when they can't think of what to write, when they're like, "Ah, I'm just stuck, I guess I'll distance myself from writing. And that just makes it that much harder to come back because every time you sit down, the words feel all wrong again. The way to get over writer's block is to write through it. Write crap for days on end if you have to, but just keep getting words on page, which is why that whole thing that I talked about with level one, with just writing one sentence, it forces you to overcome writer's block because it holds you to the page. It forces you to sit down and do it. And at the end of the day, writing is more about editing anyway. To drive this message home, if I haven't done so already, I want to share another excerpt from Stephen King's book on writing. In 1999, Stephen King was out on a walk with his dog and he was hit by a car. Nearly killed him, rushed to the hospital, many, many surgeries, and it was a very eye-opening experience for him to say the least. It was a very difficult time for him. And in his book, he talks about this experience and he shares some lessons that came after it that to me are incredibly potent. He got in this accident, had multiple surgeries. Months later, he sits down to start writing again when he hasn't written in a long time. And I want you, I want to remind you, Stephen King is one of the top authors of all time. More of his books have been made into movies than just about anybody else. He produces a book pretty much every single year and has for years and years and years and guys when you read him whether or not you like his stories man his prose is smooth the guy is good whether or not you like horror you, like you just gotta admit it he he just resonates with a lot of readers so i emphasize that because the following words are going to be very interesting for a guy who has spent his entire life writing so he's referencing the first writing session that he's had since the accident. That first writing session lasted an hour and 40 minutes, by far the longest period I'd spent sitting upright since being struck by Smith's van. When it was over, I was dripping with sweat and almost too exhausted to sit up straight in my wheelchair. The pain in my hip was just short of apocalyptic, and the first 500 words were uniquely terrifying. It was as if I'd never written anything before them in my life. All my old tricks seemed to have deserted me. I stepped from one word to the next like a very old man finding his way across a stream on a zigzag line of wet stones. There was no inspiration that first session, only a kind of stubborn determination and the hope that things would get better if I kept at it. There was no miraculous breakthrough that afternoon unless it was the ordinary miracle that comes with any attempt to create something. All I know is that the words started coming a little faster after a while. 
Then a little faster still. My hip still hurt. My back still hurt. My leg too. But those hurts began to seem a little farther away. I started to get on top of them. There was no sense of exhilaration. No buzz. Not that day. But there was a sense of accomplishment that was almost as good. I'd gotten going. There was that much. The scariest moment is always just before you start. After that, things can only get better.